0: Today's scripture is from Genesis 35 verses 1 through 13. Then God said to Jacob, "Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who will appear to you, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau." So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, "Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel." where I will build an altar to God, who has answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under an oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is, Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, so it was named Alan Bekoth. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, "'Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob.' Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him.
1: Good morning. In the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, who is played by Jimmy Stewart, is in trouble. In one powerful scene, his life is falling apart. He's in trouble at work. His dreams are all shattered. He's discouraged. And he's just made a huge mess of his family. He feels like he can't go home. And he feels like it would be better if he'd never been born. So he decides to jump off a bridge. Sometimes it's hard to go home. Not that you don't want to go home, but it's hard to go home because you've compromised your life, your faith. You've left a mess behind you. You know you've made wrong choices. You know you've hurt people. And that shame that overwhelms you and the guilt can be so strong from your own failures that it makes it hard to go home. And sometimes you just don't know what to do, how to get back home. You feel like you've moved so far away that you simply don't know what to do, how to come home, not just to family, but more importantly, how to come home to God. In Genesis chapter 35, we see Jacob moving from a huge mess that he's walked in for the last 20 years. (laughs) And he's made a big mess of his life. And at the beginning of the chapter, his life is a mess and he doesn't know what to do. And by the end of the chapter, he is home home with his family, but more importantly, he's really home with God. How did he get there? How did he make such a dramatic move in this one chapter? Well, in a word, grace. Grace. God's grace. And as we look through this chapter and see how God worked through his grace and how grace led him back home, we'll see how grace can work in our lives and help lead us home when we've lost our way. Let's begin with prayer, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, that it is a living word. And thank you for Jacob's life that is in so many ways just like ours. And Lord, there are some here this morning who are far from you and they know it. They may be sitting in church, but they feel very far from you because of choices they've made. And some of us, all of us, to some degree, have areas in our lives where we've held back from you, where we haven't really come home to you in those areas. So, Lord, use this story of Jacob's life. Use this passage to open our hearts. May your spirit be at work in each one of us to help us truly, truly Come home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look through this passage, I want to walk us through the process that God uses to bring Jacob home. And as we walk through that process, we'll be able to see how God's grace works in our lives as well. Now, let's set the context. Remember, some 20 years before, Jacob had deceived his brother, Esau, stolen his birthright, deceived his father, Esau's out to kill him. And so Jacob, to protect his own life, runs for his life. Then while he's in Haran, he gets a couple wives, but things don't go well with his uncle Laban. He eventually deceives his uncle Laban and runs for his life. Then he comes back and meets his brother Esau again and Esau is friendly to him and they seem to reconcile, but Jacob still doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust anybody. So he runs for his life. God says, go to Bethel and he goes to Shechem. And in Shechem, he gets in big trouble. His daughter gets raped. His sons take revenge and wipe out the whole town, commit murder way overboard. Jacob fails as a father because he doesn't help his daughter and he doesn't confront his sons. And at the end of the chapter, chapter 34, verse 30, we see where his heart really is. He's only thinking about himself, not about anything else. Verse 30, it says, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. (laughs) Eight times in that verse. I, me, my. And that's where we leave Jacob at the end of chapter 34. He's a mess. He's done nothing but protect and control his own life, and it hasn't worked very well by running and deceiving and failing. And I suspect that if you or I were were God at this point, probably long before this point, we would have said, Jacob, you've screwed up one too many times. I'm giving up on you. I've had it with you. You're out of here. And most of us, like Jacob, would expect either to be totally ignored by God or at the least to hear harsh words of condemnation. Jacob, you messed up. Now get your act together. But notice what God's words are to Jacob. Right in the midst of him being a huge mess, God extends grace to him. Verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You see, God is totally different than us, isn't he? His grace is something that we don't understand because he comes to Jacob when he's at his most lost. He doesn't confront him. All he does is say, Okay, Jacob, come home. Come home. I, yeah, I know all that. Yeah, but I've messed up, God. I I, I Look at all I've done and I've hurt my fi- no. Just come home. Just come home. I don't know how people can say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. Well, the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. <laughs> There's so much grace here. It's the same God. And he reaches out with grace and says... Jacob, just come home. I don't know where you are this morning. I I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know your story with God. But I know people well enough to know that there's areas for all of us that are hard to really open up to God and to come home. Are you feeling unworthy to be in God's presence? Do you feel like you've made too big a mess of your life? (laughs) Well, join the crowd. None of us are worthy. And God knows that. And he says to you and to me, come home. Get up. (laughs) Turn around and come home. Come worship me. See, because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Our punishment's been taken by him. God isn't waiting for us to get our act together. He just says, come home. So what God does first is he extends grace to us. That's how grace begins to lead us home. doesn't demand. He simply says, come home. But as we go on in this process, we see that grace does require a response. If we've really been gripped by grace, it does require a response. See, I think we often misunderstand grace. I've heard this a number of times. Where people have said to me or to others, they've said, "Well, I know this isn't right. I know I shouldn't do this, but God will forgive me." That's a misunderstanding of grace. You see, if that's your thinking, then you you've missed the boat on what grace really is. Grace means, "I have forgiven you. The door is open. Come on home." So that you can begin to learn to live in relationship with me. Grace leads us not just to forgiveness, but all the way in. So that we learn to live with our Heavenly Father as our Heavenly Father. And to walk with Him and live with Him and trust Him and worship Him. So, grace does require a certain response. And I think that's why God shows up to Jacob and he simply says, Get up, Jacob. He's in Shechem. He's in the wrong place. He's made a mess of things. Get up, Jacob. Just begin to move towards me. Go to Bethel. Build me an altar. Now, these are just simple things. And I think that's an amazing part of God's grace. See, he doesn't say, Jacob, clean up your act. Get everything together and then you can come worship me. Nobody knows that for Jacob to begin to have healing in his life and to begin to come home, he has to begin to just engage his will and take some steps. He doesn't say, you've screwed up too much. No, he says, just do these things and start moving towards me. Take some steps back towards me. Get up. Go to Bethel, 22 miles. It's not that far. Build an altar and worship me. Come home. Start moving home. I, I think too often we feel like well, we look over, we think coming home involves way too much, and we've got way too much to do, and we can't do it all, and we can't get our act together, and so we feel overwhelmed, and we feel too much shame, and so we just can't do it. And God simply is saying, just begin to take steps back towards me. Just engage your will, and if you engage your will, that changed behavior will help begin to change your heart. So if you're struggling with how far you are from God or you have areas in your life you feel like you just have a hard time giving to God, He says to you, just begin to take steps back towards me. I I want you to come home. Just get back in fellowship. Just start reading my word and praying. Five minutes a day, just, just start. Just take a small step. Just call that Christian friend that you know will hold you accountable and ask them to meet with you and just give them an hour a week. Just take the step to call that Christian counselor so that you can begin to deal with the issues in your heart and the wounds that you've never dealt with that are keeping you from coming back to me. Just make that phone call and commit to meet for just a month and see what I will do. Just make that call to apologize that you've been putting off for so long. Whatever it might be that God lays on your heart, he's saying, just begin to move back towards me. You can begin with small steps, but just move back towards me. You don't have to get your life together first. But then I'm struck by what Jacob does in verses two and three, where he says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Now God didn't tell Jacob to bury his idols, right? But Jacob learned very, something very significant about grace in going home. He knew that if he were to go home, there were things that he would have to begin to let go of. And what this suggests is that through his camp and maybe in Jacob's own tent, certainly Rachel, we we found out earlier, had idols. There were idols. They were trying to worship pagan gods, but at the same time trying to begin to follow God. And Jacob says, you can't do that. I know that. You see, when you begin to be touched by grace and you realize how great God's love is, He will move you to begin to let go of the things that you've been holding on to that are keeping you from Him. It might be a relationship. It might be something you're trying to find your security in. It could be a whole lot of different things. But God, you know it's not right. You know it's keeping you from God. And maybe there's something you need to bury. You need to dig a hole and you need to just bury it and leave it behind and move on to Bethel. You see, grace calls us toward God, but it also calls us to move away from the things that keep us from God. Otherwise, we'll just be torn apart. You can't hang on to both. It won't work. So is there something you're hanging on to that's keeping you from God? May God's spirit speak to you about that and may he show you how you can begin to take that and bury it so that you never hold on to it again. God says, let it go. Trust in me. Follow me. Like a friend of mine who just had started this internet relationship and he knew it wasn't right. But he had a hard time letting it go, but God kept telling him. Bury that. You got to let that go so you can begin to really follow me and learn what it means to love your wife wholeheartedly. God's grace will always lead us away from the things that keep us from him. Thirdly, grace always encourages us on the way as we begin to take steps back towards God, he will encourage us. And I love the way he does that here with Jacob. Again, who doesn't know what to do. He's struggling. He's just saying, okay, I'll begin to take steps back towards you. And there's several ways that God encourages him. As we've seen at the end of verse, chapter 34, verse 30, he was terrified. Oh no, what's going to happen to me? Now the nations are going to be mad. You wiped out the whole town of Shechem, he says to his sons. Now they're going to be after me. And he's terrified. And notice what God does in verse 5 of chapter 35. As they journeyed, there was a great terror, a terror of God upon the cities which were around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. God protected him. If you begin to step back towards God, God will be surrounding you with his care and his protection. Now, it doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean you won't have battles to face, but it means that God will be with you, encouraging you as you go. He encourages you on the way. And then in verse 9 and 10, he reminds him of his new name. Remember back in chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God, wrestled with an angel, and he realized it was really God incarnate. And God, at that point, renamed him. He said, your name has been Jacob, which means deceiver, he who grasps the heel. And that's been his character all his life. And God renamed him there and said, no, your name is no longer Jacob, it will be Israel, he who strives with God. In other words, your name now doesn't have to do with how you've blown it in the past. Your new name has to do with your relationship with God. And that is who you really are. Well, Jacob hasn't been living that way in the last couple chapters. But now God comes back and reminds him, no, Jacob, this is who you are. You are Israel. And your identity, your new name, who you really are, though it doesn't feel like it, is a person in relationship with me. And God says that same thing to you and to me. Oh, but I'm such, I blow it all the time. I, I'm a mess. I struggle. I, I'm No, that's who you were. But you've been saved by grace. I have planted my spirit in you. And yes, you don't always walk by my spirit. I understand that. But that's who you really are. So begin to believe that's who you are and begin to trust that I am in you and begin to live according to who you are. A new creation. You used to be dead in your sins and trespasses, he says, but I have made you alive, raised you up, seated you with Christ, put the very Spirit of God in you, and you are a saint, the Bible says. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't feel that way. Your feelings are not the determinant of who you are. Your feelings are so superficial, but who you really are goes all the way to the very depth of your spirit where you can't even feel. So he says, start believing it, Jacob. Start believing it, O Christian. You are new in Christ. God continues to encourage him. Verse 11 and 12, he reminds him of the promises, and he says, all those promises to Abraham and Isaac that I would bless you, that I would multiply you, that I would make you a great nation. Kings will come forth from you, Jacob. And I will give you this land. Now think for a minute where Jacob has been and how messed up he is. And God's coming to him and saying, all these promises are yours. I will bless you. That's grace, folks, isn't it? And God says the same thing to us. I will bless you. You're an heir to all the promises. I will walk with you. I will make you a blessing to others so you can trust me. Do you deserve that? No. Do I deserve that? No. That's grace. And so God encourages us as we begin to take steps back towards Him. He reminds us of the truth so our truth, the truth can begin to penetrate and we can begin to live out whom God has created us To really be. And back in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. The angel Clarence comes. (laughs) Remember? And helps George Bailey. And shows him what life would be like in the town, Bedford Falls, if he hadn't been there. And George, at the end of the lesson, is so thankful and appreciative because he realizes how much he has. You see, God wants us to realize how much we have. To not focus on how we've blown it, but to focus on how great His grace is and what He's done in our lives that we are new. And as we begin to focus on that and His grace and His love and all He's done for us, then we can begin to walk in that grace. And as this process continues, the next step is that He leads us to worship. Grace leads us To worship. Verse 7. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, God of Bethel, God of the house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Verse 14 and 15. Jacob sent up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. You see, for them, the patriarchs in that day, they didn't have elaborate ritual for worship. So for them, worship meant building an altar, building a pillar and saying, here I will worship God. He is my God. I will trust Him. I will walk with Him. I will follow Him. That's an act of worship. Now I think we get confused and sometimes we think, okay, God wants me to come home. I'm beginning to take steps to follow Him. But I've blown it so badly, I've got a lot of work to do to get my act together. And we think what God wants is our work for Him. We've got to make up for what we've done wrong. That's very human to want to try to work our way back to God to make up for what we've done wrong. Sometimes that's why we don't come home. We're like the prodigal son in the prodigal son's story who leaves home, makes a mess of things, everything falls apart. He finally decides he has no choice but to come home. He's finally so broken, he has no choice. But his attitude, remember when he headed home, he had a speech all made up. And his speech was, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and you. I am, secondly, not worthy to be called your son. And third, make me like one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy, I've sinned, and therefore all I can do is just be a second-class Christian for the rest of my life. And we feel that way, don't we? I've made a mess of my life and therefore all I can be is a second-class Christian for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'll come home, but, but the pressure's on. Interesting how the father — and we'll be studying it this summer, actually, the prodigal son parable. Interesting what the father does. The son starts the speech. "Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son," And he's about to say, "And so I'm going to work as a servant." The father cuts him off. doesn't let him finish his speech. He says, "Bring the robe, kill the fatted calf. let's party my son is home. Do you understand that's the heart of God towards you? When you come home, he he doesn't want you to work your way back into his good graces. He simply says, you're home, yes. I'm so excited. Let's throw a party. God doesn't want our penance or our work. He wants our worship. And Jacob gets it. I like the way A.W. Tozer puts it. The supreme reason the Lord was born of the Virgin Mary, to suffer under Pontius Pilate, to be crucified, die, and be buried. The reason he overcame death and rose again from the grave is that he might make worshipers out of rebels. He goes on. God wants worshipers before he wants workers. He calls us back to that for which we were created, to worship the Lord God and to enjoy him forever. And then out of our deep worship flows our work for him. Our work is only acceptable to God if our worship is acceptable. You see, God calls us back not to work, but to first and foremost worship him. Delight in Him. Get to know Him for who He is. Enjoy His grace and His goodness that we don't deserve. We are a redeemed people. Hallelujah. And we can celebrate together. So He says, come to me and worship. And Jacob gets it. Grace will always lead us to worship. And then finally, grace strips us of God's rivals. Grace strips us of God's rivals. As this chapter goes on, it's very interesting how it ends. There are three deaths talked about. Significant deaths in Jacob's life. And there's a fourth one hinted at. Why are these there? Let's look at them. Verse 8. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alan Bakuth, which means oak. Of weeping, who was Deborah? Well, Deborah, it says, was Rebecca's nurse. Now, Rebecca was Jacob's mother, right? And the word there in the Hebrew is nursemaid, wet nurse. In other words, Deborah was the one who nursed Jacob as a baby. Deborah was his nanny, especially, essentially, the one who took care of him, nursed him raised him. In that culture, they often had those if they were wealthy enough. They had a wet nurse, a nanny, who took care of him. And so, this one whom Jacob was bonded with died. And we know it was hard on Jacob because he called that place the Oak of Weeping. It was hard for him. Then, it also, by the way, hints at the fact that his mother's already gone. We're never told in Genesis what happened to Rebecca After Jacob left and Rebecca said, Hey, Jacob, I'll send for you as soon as it's safe to come back. She never sent. She's not even mentioned, only her nurse. Therefore, we assume she's already died long before. The one who favored Jacob, remember, the one who helped him deceive Her husband, she's gone too. Then there's more deaths. Verse 16 through 20. They journeyed from Bethel. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and she suffered severe labor. Remember who Rachel is? Jacob's favored wife. He loved Rachel enough that he worked 14 years for her father Laban to get her because he was smitten by her. And now as they're coming back, she was in severe labor. And the midwife said to her, do not fear for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing for she died that she named him Ben-oni, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. His beloved wife is taken from him. Another loss. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 27 through 29, his own father dies, Isaac. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, an old man of ripe age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This father that that Jacob had never been able to earn or gain his favor. Isaac always favored Esau above Jacob. Now that loss has happened as well. All these significant relationships have been taken from him. And then there's one more incident I want to highlight here. And that's in verse 22, where his eldest son, the heir for his family, Reuben, does this. Verse 22, it came about while Israel, notice he's being called Israel, he's learning to live out his new identity. When Israel was dwelling in that land, that Reuben, his firstborn, his oldest, went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Who's Bilhah? Well, remember, his beloved wife, Rachel, couldn't have children. And she said, I can't have children myself, so take my maid, Bilhah, and have children. And Jacob lay with her, and they had two children. And Rachel has just died. And now Reuben takes this maid, Bilhah, and lays with her and Israel heard about it. Why is this significant? Because Reuben is the firstborn is saying, Dad, I am claiming your position right now. I am claiming authority in this family. I wish you were dead. I am taking over. How that must have hurt. To have his oldest son want him dead so you put all this together these losses that significant losses that Jacob was experiencing here and you have to ask how is this part of god's grace well again i think we misunderstand grace we think god that grace means god has to be nice to me now my life should go well so I have your favor, so you're going to make my life just flow easily and I'm just going to cruise through life now because of God's grace. But remember, grace is far more than that. Grace is saying, I want you to come home. I'm opening the door to you. Come on home and I will help you learn how to live with me forever in my home. Which means the things that we hold on to, the rivals in our heart. And for Jacob, there were many, including his wife, Rachel, his father, perhaps his son, Reuben. And God says, I will take those away so that you will learn to worship me fully from your heart. Grace is God's undeserved favor towards us which means his commitment to help us truly find life in him and him alone. That's grace. Anything less is not really grace. God's grace is stripping Jacob of the things that keep him from having his whole heart. And grace does that. And God loves us enough to give us true grace. And so if you've gone through some hard things where you feel like God's stripping away some things in your life that are painful for you to let go of, understand it as part of His grace, His love towards you, so that you can learn to worship Him and worship Him alone, so you can truly, truly come home. So where are you today? Where is your heart still in Shechem, holding back, having a hard time, feeling shame? rejection not sure if God could accept you well God's grace is calling you and he's saying just get up (laughs) turn towards me take small steps and move towards me and I will encourage you on the way I will help you and yes there will be some severity in my grace and my love as I strip away the things that keep you from me but I want you to come so you can fully completely be home And experience my love and my grace. Jacob demonstrated no reason why God would call him to come home. And yet God did. Why? Because God is a God of grace. But grace is not forgiveness so we can do whatever we want. Grace leads us home so God can wash us, cleanse us, remake us, So we are free to become what God truly, truly, truly created us to be, wholehearted worshipers of Him. You see, grace turns rebels like you and me into worshipers. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank You for the Scriptures that are so true to life and how we can relate to Jacob We know there's parts of every one of us that are still rebels. Help us hear your voice, your grace calling us home. Help us arise, build an altar, and learn what it means to truly worship you. Lord, bring us home. We pray
0: in Jesus' name. Amen.